Welcome back to Horoscope Witch. It's Mal, and on episode 59, I was blessed to interview my friend and colleague Malloran Matherin, who you might know as Moon Lady Astrology on Instagram. And just in case you don't know who Malloran is, um, she's a Hellenistic astrologer with over 20 years of experience, and she also identifies as an intuitive empath. Um, She does energy healing. She's an astrological educator, writer, witch, medium, tarot reader. You name it, she does it. (laughs) Um, Malloran is so filled with wisdom and knowledge and she'll share she'll you'll hear this in the episode but um her great grandmother actually um got her a tarot deck when she was really really young so the the metaphysics have been in her life for basically her whole life and you can really tell because she she just holds so much knowledge about both astrology and tarot, I actually had a astrology reading with Malloran sometime at the end of 2019 when I was visiting New York City and I was looking and trying to find a um, a, a astrologer when I was visiting and I found Mal and I was like, oh, I, I got to have a reading with her because we have um, similar names and <laughs> we're like two astrologers named Mal, so we, we better meet each other. And Malloran has such a unique style when it comes to astrology because, um, you know, she does the astrology reading, but she also has such like this deep intuition and you can really feel um, spirit and uh, ans- the ancestors and our guides and gods and goddesses just being present within her ses- sessions. So she'll talk about this too at some point in the in the interview. But um, Malloran is really something I love about her. She doesn't deny that psychic ability. She really lets it out, and it can be difficult. Some people don't realize that it can be difficult to blend like intuitive and psychic knowing with astrology. Uh, it, it can be, um, it, it, sometimes people have this sort of either or mentality about it, but Malloran really, really does this amazing job at marrying the two together. And I knew I wanted to have Malloran on the show. I just didn't know what we should talk about. (laughs) So I kind of sat on it for a while and I was listening into spirit. And finally, recently, I realized I was like, oh, I think me and Mal should talk about Venus. For some reason, the planet Venus was really coming to me. And um, ironically, we also in this episode kind of started to talk about different Venusian goddesses like Aphrodite, Isis, Ishtar, Inanna, and of course we get around to talking about Oshun. And then the ironic part is that today, September 8th, is the feast day of Oshun. So it really felt like Venus and Oshun were sort of following us um, (laughs) with this episode and it really did happen in spirit timing. 
So not only do we discuss the uh, the planetary meaning of Venus and the goddesses that we can associate with planet Venus, but Malloran also gives us a little um, astrological history lesson, which I think will be very helpful for um, any students of astrology out there who are listening. And also something that was really interesting was Malloran mentioned sort of the physical chemical makeup of the planet Venus and how we can apply that to the astrological meaning of the planet so it was that part would like really blew my mind it was really interesting and you know we sort of finished this episode with some of our own insights about Venus in the natal chart and what happens when Venus interacts or has aspects to other planets. So we start kind of talking about different planetary combinations with Venus that could show up in a natal chart. So, you know, Venus and Pluto together or Venus and Neptune together and so on and so forth. So again, I think that part of the episode will be really helpful helpful for those of you who are students of astrology and trying to take a closer look at your Venus in your own natal chart. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I think you'll really get something out of it from a student's perspective because Malloran is such a such a natural teacher and she has so much wisdom to share. Um, there are a few times in this episode where we mention Malloran's um, book on Hellenistic astrology. So definitely keep an eye out on Instagram for updates about that book. Um, and besides that, you can find all of Malloran's information below in the show notes. And I hope you enjoy this episode and I will talk to you all next time. And I know you, when you were telling me a little bit about how your path started, you sort of mentioned um, your great grandmother and how she kind of helped you in sort of the beginning of your journey as a very psychic and intuitive kid. So I would love if you can, if you can tell us a little bit about um, actually where you grew up and then maybe a little bit about some you know psychic experiences as a kid and how your grandma sort of helped you with that yeah sure um so i grew up in brooklyn in flatbush um i kind of grew up in uh really you know my uh grandmother and grandfather um came from trinidad and um they came over my grandfather became an engineer my grandmother became a nurse um, so they're able to like save enough to like get a you know, nice house um, in the Flatbush area, closest to like Brooklyn College. So it was really nice. We had like, a basement and um, attic, and um, it was a really old Victorian house. It still it still is, but um, it had a lot of secret passageways, which is really cool. So uh, I remember as a kid, like um, 
my cousins would come over, uh, there was a passageway that led from the basement. It was like against the wall and we found it by, because we were playing around and first we were kids, we were roughhousing and my cousin fell through the wall. And we're like, how did he fall through the wall? But it was actually like a really thin kind of door that was there. So we followed it up, up the stair, up the way. It was like a passageway and we followed it up and it led to the first floor. And then we like came out on the first floor and then like my mother was there. So we went back in to like hide and then it went all the way up to the second floor and all the way. So it was just like the secret. I don't even know what it was for. It didn't make any sense. It was like almost like a hiding space. Yeah. Um, it was very cool. So stuff like that. I mean, it was that kind of house. It was really kind of old and lots of it. And even in the crawl space, I remember we found um, old newspapers from like the 1900s and um like items of clothing from whoever these people were and things i wish that we kept it of course i was like six or seven i don't remember where it was but um yeah i mean it's it's still there technically but it is all it's all walled up because my family's like yeah we can't have you like shimmying through <laughs> through crawl spaces in the house <laughs> that would be awkward um so yeah I mean, it was really kind of i think it was a really magical house and yeah i just used to um yeah, my, my great-grandmother, um, who actually had my grandmother when she was quite young, so that's why I was able to um, have her in my life um, up until 18. So um, she was very spunky, um, very sassy, very spiritual lady. Um, and I, during some research and looking back at photos, I realized that um, she was part of the, the church of cult of Shango. And Shango is a is a um, Yoruba Yoruban uh, deity, and in Trinidad they actually have churches devoted to Shango. Shango is is mostly connected to Trinidad. It could be the colors because our flag is red, white, and black, and he's associated with red, white, and black. So, um, but yeah, there's a lot of churches devoted especially to him. And I remember looking at photos of her and at the stuff that she was doing in the photos with her friends. And I was like, oh yeah, they're like doing rituals, and I didn't even realize that. And um, so yeah, she used to kind of help me with things that I would see or um, hear. I used to hear a lot, so I'm I'm very like most of my most of my um my strongest sense is third audience. Um, so I I hear things like very vividly, a lot of times very loudly. Um, so I'm trying I'm working on controlling that so that it's not <laughs> screaming at me. <laughs> or um, when I was younger. Uh, I remember I heard this, I have a story, sorry if I'm rambling about this, oh, but um, <laughs> I remember I was about maybe eight or nine and my sister was about, I mean, I was about 10, my sister was about seven or eight and um, my brother was like still a baby and we had just come home from school. So my great grandmother used to pick, you know, she used to pick us up, but she didn't come that day. So we just walked, we walked home. So it was like no big deal. And we showed up around maybe 4.30 or five o'clock. So we were at the very top of the stairs and at the, at, there's like a spiral that goes all the way down to the first floor. It's like four floors. You can look, you can look down and see who's there. So her, her routine was that we would come off from school. She didn't pick us up. And then she would come in like go grocery shopping with a cart. And then she would leave the cart right by the base because that was like the easiest way to her to her entryway. And then she would unpack her groceries. So that's how we know she was home. So that day it was getting really late and she wasn't home yet. It was like 5.30, 6, and we didn't, we didn't see or hear from her. And um, this is because she four cell phones. <laughs> and um, so I'm waiting and I'm waiting until like, normally she would call out to me. And um, 
you know, she would, my nickname was Lori. So she was call me Lori and I would hear it and I would know the, the, you know, the way she would say it, the intonation and stuff. And I didn't hear it. And then this around six o'clock, I heard it. I heard the cart, what I thought was the cart. And um, I heard someone come in and do the same routine. Like I could hear the cart and I could hear the jiggling of the keys. And I was like, okay, that's her. And then I looked over, but I didn't see the cart. And I was like, hmm, maybe she brought it in. I don't know, maybe. That's okay. And I went back and then I heard someone call my name, Lori. And I was like, something told me not to respond. It was really weird because I would never do that. Something said, don't respond. And I didn't. And then it called again, but it was very different. It was almost like it sounded computerized. And the third time, it sounded like it was like a broken record. It was like, it wasn't her voice. And I freaked out. <laughs> I did one more look and I didn't see the car and I grabbed my sister and I said, let's go in the bedroom now. So we went to the bedroom, I locked the door and I, we sat, she was like, she didn't know what was going on. I was like, you're gonna sit here until I see someone come to the door. I am not opening this door. <laughs> and she was like, what is going on? Um, I think I, I have many stories of me, of me scaring her. She, she, she would tell me that I would talk in my sleep and I used to sleepwalk and um, that used to freak her out because I would stand over her sometimes um, or I would just, she'll wake up and I'm facing the doorway, but I'm not moving. And, um, I've had I've had roommates in college tell me that too that they they couldn't stay with me because I would do weird things in my sleep. So yeah. that, that is and it's so funny because so many um, of us intuitives and witches and psychics mm -hmm. and everything we have these like vivid memories of being children and having these mm -hmm. like paranormal experiences and. Mm -hmm they don't quite make sense until later in life so mm -hmm. and then we start to put it together and realize like well maybe it wasn't really spirit trying to scare me it was like them trying to sort of awaken me to like my gift or whatnot <laughs> yeah exactly i see it now but at the time i was so afraid i was afraid like all the time and i <laughs> I think talking to my sister actually recently, she was, she said that she was just like, at least you're putting it to good use now. Yes. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> yes. Um, and then, so was there a point then with like um, your clear audience and um, you know maybe seeing your grandmother, great grandmother, sort of. Um, perform these rituals and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. Was there a point where you? Um, where she sort of led you to either witchcraft or, or tarot or um, any sort of spiritual tradition or was that something that you stumbled in on your own? Yeah um, yeah so she gave me my first deck of tarot cards um, when I was around that time maybe like well maybe six or something, maybe really late really early sorry I just remember having it and I was the kind of child where I I wasn't really into things necessarily, like a lot of toys. I liked one or two things and that's what I, I kept. I really kept it. I'm just one of those kids who kept it very pristine and I liked to, um, so she gave me the cards and I think she already knew that I wouldn't lose them. And I, I never lose any of the cards. And I still have it to this day. And I have all 78, um, it was a right away deck. And um, yeah, I would just kind of like look at it and I would look at the images and I would study them at night. 
And I didn't know what I was doing, but I was probably like med meditating on it or channeling with them. And I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, but I know I was just stare at them for hours. And then I would read more. I would go to the library and read about them. Um, I would show the librarian, this is the card I have. Can you tell me about it? And then, you know, of course, I was best friends with the library. I was one of those kids. I was like, but the librarian was one of my best friends. I was like, she was just like, oh, here you are again. And I was like, can you tell me about this card? And she's like, oh, yes, that's the sun. It says the sun. And she taught me like Roman numerals. And um, like I told you, when I went to school, I started school first grade. And they were surprised. I already knew, I already knew my Roman numerals because they were on the tarot cards. So <laughs> it was just like, I was like ahead of the game in that. And um, But it was really fun to do research. And she would just direct me to different books. And then when she saw that I wanted to like read more, she would give me more of the... Um, uh, you know, like the Latin texts, like the, um, the, the Tetra Biblos and um, different, I mean, it was, it's, in, it's in English, but it was a little bit more complicated, but I really liked understanding it and researching it. And um, yeah, it's, that's kind of just piece by piece. Mm -hmm. Wow, I can't, but I think you might be the, um, like six years old might be like the earliest um, age I've heard in someone's like spiritual journey of receiving their deck, but it seems like you have almost like that fairy tale, um, that fairy tale like story of like your great grandmother giving you the deck, like it, it's like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, would you say that tarot then led you to astrology? Like, when did astrology become, like, on your radar? Probably maybe, like, within, like, six or eight months, I think, within that time. Because when I looked at the cards and I would, um, the librarians there, like, they were really helpful. I mean, they didn't know much about it either. So they were they were actually intrigued because they were like, ooh, what's, what? like, ooh, what's this? And we were looking at it together. And then we pieced it together, like, oh, that is the sun is associated with Leo. And I was like, what's Leo? And then um, she would pull out an astrology book and then would read about it. And I would see the birthday and I was like, oh, I'm an Aquarius because I'm born in Gen. And then I would look in and I was like, oh, I want to see my, what's this, my mom. So that's my sister. And then it just kind of went off from there. And um, yeah, so yeah, Tarot did lead me to astrology and then like numerology as well. And um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, wow. <laughs> That's, that's so cool. You're kind of like me then where it's sort of, um, well, for me, astrology, my interest in astrology did come first technically, mm -hmm. but I don't think I would have become an astrologer if I didn't read tarot cards because mm. tarot cards were the thing that um, where spirit communicated with me to become an astrologer, if that makes sense. So yes. for me, I, tarot and astrology are so um, like intrinsically connected. And that's why I relate to you so much because you, um, you pull out your cards in astrology readings or um, like the, the link between tarot and astrology is kind of um, inseparable. And I really relate to that in some way. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. now you um, identify as a Hellenistic astrologer um, for the most part, but do you think for for the listeners who might not be familiar, um, what would you say the difference is between like 
modern astrology that we might know and then like Hellenistic astrology that you um, that you uh, study and you're writing about as well or have written about. <laughs> yeah, sure. I love to talk about this. Okay. Um, can you hear me okay? Yes. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Okay. So, yes. Uh, so I consider myself to be a Hellenistic and intuitive astrologer. I, I kind of, I want to give people a heads up just to let them know that Yes, I am reading astrology, but I am also picking up things intuitively. So um, I think it's it's just kind of in transparency, a little bit of transparency, just letting people know, like, yeah, like maybe sometimes I have to have people go back to their chart and say, hey, what you said is not in that chart, or I didn't see it written down, but I was like, yeah, because I, I saw it, or I felt it, or your ancestor came in and told me that. So <laughs> I kind of, um, I let them know that sometimes information that I get is not from completely the stars. Um, so I would say a Hellenistic and intuitive in that sense. And then the Hellenistic difference, well, differences between Hellenistic and Western. Um, okay, so Hellenistic astrology, the origin of it starts in Greece. Well, it, it was uh, popularized in Greece. It really started in Mesopotamia, um, which it would be like the Persian area kind of region. Um, also kind of like Saudi Arabia, Iran, Iraq, going down into Egypt. So that was, you know, was considered Persia. So um, it started there. And of course, you know, everybody kind of added their own little thing. Um, Egyptians added time clocks. They added um, like a 24-hour period, um, even though sometimes they would go back to the 12-hour. That's quite confusing. Um, other, other cultures kind of brought in their own little facets. So the astrology that we know, Hellenistic astrology, well, not Western yet, but Hellenistic astrology was an amalgamation of all these different aspects from different cultures. So the Greeks um, at that point were really experiencing, like, it was a golden age. And they based their, um, their prosperity on the knowledge that they had. So they were very much into, um, as you know, like Greek philosophers, this is why we attribute philosophy to Greeks, because they, they glorified knowledge and they saw actually astrology was seen as a higher science than astronomy mm -hmm. right astronomy was just a gateway to astrology um many leaders have their own astrologers um you have the oracles of delphi as well who who warned many who had many um prophecies fulfilled um and they were also seen as one of the first astrologers augurers which are um people who who read the migration patterns and um uh, uh, rotation where the birds would move in the sky and they would um, attribute, uh, okay, the birds are moving this way, therefore it's going to rain. Or the birds moving this way, we have somebody coming or something like that. So they were all considered to be, they all had, it was kind of how we are now. It's like you have people who are like, I do astrology, I do tarot, I do, you know, I do meditation. It was like that there. It was like, I'm an augur, I'm an oracle, I'm an astrologer, I'm a and it's also, augury also included reading um, the entrails of, of animals. That was the original way of reading. So tea leaf reading, um, scrying, that was all part of it. So if you were in this field, you were able to do all of it. And it's very interesting that we're kind of going back to that. We're kind of going back to this, um, this kind of listing when you have your resume, you have like 10 different things that you can do um, because that was, it's like you have to own, you have to almost be that person because in a way, if you're looking at the migration um, patterns of birds, you have to know what each bird is about. You have to know sparrows operate differently than nightingales 
and they operate differently than vultures. So you have to know a little bit of animal um, medicine. You also have to know a little bit of animal Reiki because you maybe have to control these birds. Um, so yeah, going all the way back into that, astrologers were part of this. They were part of this huge movement and they were seen as scholars. So now going back a little bit further ahead, we have the, um, the conquest of, of the Greek nations and Christianity came in, coming from the German, um, kind of the German, um, Germans coming over um, to, to bring kind of Christianity and Catholicism derived from that. And Christianity and Catholicism, especially Catholicism, um, is in this very much all or nothing kind of uh, dynamic where astrology was seen as a threat to Catholicism. So uh, everything, which is where we get the demonization of astrology and quote unquote witchcraft and of the dark arts. It was seen as a dark arts. That's where it came from. It wasn't seen as dark before. It was just seen as arts, right? right? So yeah, so this all, it was demonized and pushed underground. So this is why people had to do it in secret. They had to do it um, because then you were, you, were, you were killed for it. You were um, you know, cast up of your country. So astrology also went underground with that. Um, as the Greeks started um, dispersing to other lands because they couldn't stay there because the Boston just wouldn't accept who they were and what they were about. The golden age first was no more gold, was gold no more. And um, astrology, the idea of Hellenic astrology went to India from there. And actually Vedic astrology is probably the, maybe the one the closest to Hellenistic astrology actually, um, because they have similar, they use a lot of similar um, techniques um, but not completely all of them, which is which is where it kind of gets a little bit different. Vedic astrologers also influence a lot of um, Indian deities as well. So and also um, they can the, sut the sutras and yoga, like it's just not that's not Hellenistic. So Vedic astrology became its own thing, but it it is probably the closest. Um, from there, it went underground again, and it resurged. It had a resurgence in uh, during the Enlightenment period as well as um, when kind of in the early 1900s, um, kind of when there was like a surgeon's of like, you know, spirit, um, spiritual work, um, psychic work coming back, um, mediums, that was a thing. Um, but it was hard because many people capitalized on this and were false, were false prophets. They were false mediums. They were doing scams. So that was, as well took away from the viability of this work and what people were actually doing and actually the talented people. So now then we became, came into Western astrology, which it came to first England and the UK, then it came to the US. And um, we followed very much the, uh, the Grecian calendar system um, in terms of 12 months, rather than using um, different calendars that we use 24 hours or 13 months. Um, and that goes a little bit, gets a bit complicated. Um, so we, we stuck to the 12, the 12 signs. Um, we also stuck as well to um, using the like nitrogen tropical and side reel. That's always been in debate. Um, heat extraction normally uses side reel. Um, and so yeah, it's a whole. It became it became its own thing as well, similar to heat astrology. The Western astrology is a little bit different, but it's some of the same. Um, kind of run a little bit <laughs> into the the history of it. <laughs> Well, I think that's important, though, because I think that's what we miss. And probably, um, you know, when I was first getting into astrology, I think um, 
what I really missed was the history. And it wasn't until, you know, it wasn't until like later in my astrological studies, um, really recently taking a Hellenistic course where um, I really realized how important it is to like contextualize the history of where all of the ideas came from. And, um, and I think it's important that, um, you know, even if someone is all over um, being like the Western modern astrologer, I think even then it's still important to not forget the history and not forget that like um, modern Western astrology does come from the Hellenistic tradition. So mm -hmm. it's almost like, um, like studying how to make spaghetti, but then no one tells you it's like from Italy or something. So like you have to like <laughs> learn, you have to like learn like what was what was going on in Italy? Why did they develop mm -hmm. to like really get it? <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. And I feel that is also why I'm kind of really intense on bringing back Hellenistic astrology. Um, like, I love, I love Chris Brennan, um, Judith Paul. There's, I mean, there's a lot of people who are very much involved in Hellenistic astrology. I remember reading their books, and their books are about this thing. Right, yeah. And it, it, I mean, I would digest it, but it was always so much. And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is a lot. So this is what that book is about. Like book that I wrote, Helmsworth Helmsworth Astrology for Beginners, because it's very, very thin. You can like 135 pages. You can like read it over a weekend. And I just pretty much take a lot of you know the ideas and the history and condense it into like a, a, a bite-sized package because it feels so important. I mean, so many people are into astrology now, but I really want them to get the context behind it because you. Yes, you can make a meme about it. Yes, you can, you know, um, create posts and that sort of thing. But you have to really understand what, what does Aries mean? What does this constellation, what is the constellation about? There's a reason why all of everything fits into place. Hellenistic astrology does answer a lot of those questions. I'm sure, as you know, you're taking a course because they, we use places rather than houses. And with the places, you know, this is the original kind of system where even say the ninth house is the place of God, you know, anything placed in that ninth house, which is the house of Sagittarius, which of course correlates, it does a lot of correlation here, but um, the places are all very different. They're very much into, which I mean, the one thing I do say about Hellenists, but they do have a very good or bad dynamic about them. It's like, it's very binary. Um, this kind of economy, like it has to be good, bad, you know, benefit, malefic, you know, it's like, oh, come on, like, let's kind of loosen up a little bit. Um, so um, that's the kind of, I would like to, you know, create a looser structure so that it's not very, um, you know, this is how it is. Um, and that's the only way it could be. Um, so yeah, even the locks are really interesting. Should, have you gotten to the point of locks yet? Okay, I haven't gotten to the lots yet, but um, it, you know, my first astrology teacher gave me a very brief understanding of the lots, but I'm excited to dive into it. And I was wondering, you know, since we kind of wanted to go into talking about Venus, and I know the Hellenistic astrologers would have considered Venus to be a malefic planet, or sorry, a benefic planet. Um, so quote unquote, good planet. Um, what did the Hellenistic astrologers or how did they see Venus in your eyes? Yeah, sure. Um, so 
Okay, so going a little far back, so they, they called Venus Aphrodite. Right. Um, they connected her to Aphrodite, which is goddess of beauty, goddess of desire, um, love, of course, um, but also the Babylonian context. When we think about um, when we're going back further, remember Greek Hellenistic astrology is a mixture of different aspects. So we're taking into account Egyptian um, methods, taking into account Babylonian or Mesopotamian aspects as well as Greek. So the Babylonian sword Venus has Ishtar or Inanna. And of course, Inanna is the goddess of spring, right? So again, we have more, more ideas and more connections to what Venus is actually about. She is about birth. She is about something, you know, things growing. She's the maiden energy. So if you think about the maiden, as there's as birth, is also death, right? And I think this, that's the other part that is also missing with Venus. It's the fact that, um, yes, you know, she does rule, you know, beauty and music and, you know, crafts and sewing and embroidery, but she's also, the planet itself is very volcanic. It's, it's hot. It's one of the hottest planets. It's blue. It looks serene. Again, so we're thinking about colors the way we feel them. We see blue and we think of cool and we think of calm and placid and nice. But actually, Venus is one of the most volatile planets in the solar system. Right, it's full of volcanoes. It's it's very it's completely unlivable. <laughs> I mean, you can't even close to Venus um, in order to um, you know take. I think it's like the temperature is like 450 degrees Celsius. It's insane. Um, so it reflects 70% of the sun's light because it is one of the closest planets to the sun. So, but you think okay, the moon is also close. So why is not the why is an F has hot as well? Venus has a lot more going on to it than meets the eye. And this is why I do love working with Venus. It's a little bit of that, um, you know, it's that kind of maiden, kind of Persephone, like I'm this dainty damsel, but cross her and she probably will burn your house down kind of thing. <laughs> um, that's the energy I get from Venus. <laughs> Tell me about, more about like how we, yes, we assume Venus is the planet of love and beauty like you said but the actual um like planet of venus like you said is so volcanic and explosive and i know you personally um sort of view venus as um as a warrior in a lot of ways um even though we might uh, assume that mars is the only planet that's associated with war um, how do you see Venus kind of having a connection to that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, going back to the Babylonian connection to Ishtar. Ishtar, yes, was the goddess of fertility. And um, you probably have seen the, um, there's like a, a relief of Ishtar. Um, she's holding up, um, she has her hands up like this. She has wings behind her, of course, um, back um, connected to Isis um, and the wings of the, of course, remember Isis was a, a psychopomp. She went, she, she connected, uh, she took souls from this world into the underworld. Again, she's in that, that balance between um, life and death, between death and rebirth. So Ishtar is also connection to Isis. Um, she has the Ankh in one hand and she has um, a, a, a kind of a scythe in the other, kind of similar to death. She has two owls next to her and cats. And cats, of course, are very connected to the they're kind of this in-between. Uh, this is why they're seen as familiar. Is it in-between of the this world and the other world, underworld? Um, so Ishtar is already connected to that world just by default, right? She is that energy where she can go in between those worlds. Yeah, so when I think of that, I think of, um, uh, yeah, so she was able to um, kind of like 
charm she's able to charm lucifer or um hades and um be able to bring souls in without having to stay herself if anybody else did that they would have to stay in the underworld um so i'm yeah i i i connect um venus very much to to that death and rebirth as well um just trying to think too sorry (laughs) no i love that um and i i love that kind of that we miss the um, we miss that darker side of Venus uh, at mm-hmm. times, and it's so almost ironic that you would bring this up because you told me that you have Venus conjunct Pluto, so that's mm-hmm. sort of <laughs> in your chart. <laughs> you know that sort of um, um, life and death, death and rebirth thing um, it is very apparent for you in your chart. So I love how you connect that that kind of, yeah, that death and rebirth aspect to Venus, because if the spring is coming, um, you know, it it must also end. There's, in astrology, especially in Hellenistic astrology, everything has um, a duality, right? Everything has a partner. So for Venus to have this meaning of, of life and beauty, she must also be somehow connected to, to death and decay. (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely. I when I think of Venus, I always, you know, of course in tarot, she's, you know, well love is seen as two of cups relationships. Um, and that two, that number two of duality is always something that um has always been in my mind because we think of Gemini, we think of duality. But I I think about it loosely. I mean, yes, it's stereotypically, yes, it is about duality with Gemini, but Gemini goes a bit further. It's not even duality. Gemini has many sides. You know, Gemini is, is you know, it's a chrome. Gemini is, is, is Hecate. It has me- as many faces. You never know what you're going to get from Gemini. I never see two. Um, but when I see Libra, I think of two, right? Or I think of um, Venus. I think of this duality aspect. And that could also be where we think of when we connect Venus, we always think of Mars right afterwards because it is that, um that divine feminine divine masculine that's always kind of within us and we're always trying to balance those two those two energies of do i want to attack you or do i want to love you do can i do both you know <laughs> it's, it's it's that kind of i don't know i always think about it as that kind of energy where it's um always deciding between the two our dual natures Right, right. And I was, I was reading too, even more, um, a a little bit more about like, all of these Venusian goddesses that we associate with Venus, like the Greeks thought, um, you know, Venus was associated with Aphrodite, they literally, the word for Venus was Aphrodite. So it's sort of Aphrodite is inherently tied into Venus. But like you saying, there's other goddesses like um, Inanna and Ishtar and Isis who have their roots in, in Venus too. And even someone like Persephone, um, who gets like taken by Hades. Uh, we could think of her having some ties to Venus too. Uh, and I know we can see that dark and light in all of those goddesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially too, I know I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, goddess Oshun and how we can also relate some of her stories to Venus as well. 
Um, and if you wanted to, would you mind kind of telling us a little bit about um, maybe Oshun and her connection, at least for you, to Venus? Because um, I know that's something that you've been interested in, in kind of looking into as well, like, like me. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. I would love to. Um, yeah, so I definitely heavily associate Oshun with Venus. Um, uh, connections, you know, personally, Venus is um, one of my Arisha, my, di- my deities are very much around me. Um, my planetary, my house ruler is Venus, um, which is my first house. Um, so I'm very much connected to Venus in every way. Um, so yes, Oshun, the story of Oshun, I lo- the story that I love is um, kind of the one where she kind of is, okay, so I'll just back to her story. Um, <laughs> there were other male gods, other male deities, um, on the planet, um, Oludamare, um, who is sort of the, um, the, the, the European idea of, of God, the idea of the overall energy, who created these, these deities to be on the earth, to be able to populate it, and to bring, you know, bring trees, bring life, bring humans, bring, make the world populated, make it, make it a thing. So um, he had all these male gods, and Oshun was one of the female gods, and um, no, typical, you know, female gods were not were not respected, um, even back then. Uh, because of her, you know, she was beautiful. She was very she came across as very dainty. She was wearing you know, these beautiful gowns and she showed you know exposed herself a little bit. And I thought we can't take her seriously. Right. So we're just there was, you know, one day in particular that um Oludamari wanted her wanted all the gods to come up to have a meeting or something and they knew about it but they didn't tell Oshun okay we don't need her we don't need her to come and it's like oh you're having a meeting we don't need her to come it's fine so they went up by themselves and he asked well where's Oshun and he said oh we don't need her she's fine like we could we could have the meeting we'll tell her afterwards we'll show her the notes or whatever and he was livid he was like no you can't do that like you know you can't do that to her in the meanwhile oshun very much realized that she was not invited to this meeting and she was pissed she was completely angry but she did not react she didn't go out you know she went onto the moon <laughs> she sat away on the moon she sulked a little bit had her little you know her little moments uh she uh walked, looked in the mirror was, was stroking her hair you know just kind of like waiting for them because she knew she's like no you need me you need me and you'll see how much you need me. So she took away all of her energy from the world, which is joy, which is life, which is, you know, which is that springtime, birth. So nothing was growing, nothing, the rivers were not flowing. There was nothing happening. So people couldn't farm, people couldn't live, they couldn't exist. And they started complaining, they're very upset. So the gods had to go and apologize to Oshun. Um, only thing she said, she accepted an apology, apology, but she said, don't let it happen again. And it's very much that energy, that strength of, you know, and she was, you know, after that, she was fine. You know, she, she brought everything back to, back to normal. There's that, you know, that need for, um, that respect. And she gives it to them. And her mind is like, well, why am I not getting it back? And just because it's, because I'm a woman, because of what I represent, of beauty and lightness and joy. It's almost, you know, when people take your kindness for weakness or, if they see you're smiling or too happy, let's pay something up you want. Like, what's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> that kind of energy. Um, yeah, so I very much uh, connect with that, um, with that story in particular. Um, there are a few others, um, but that's the one that I really love, um, connecting to Ocean. And how do you relate that story then 
back to Venus, does it kind of go hand in hand with like Venus having a bit of a a darker side, I guess? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And it also shows her strength as well. Um, There is another another story. I mean, there's so many stories um, with the gods and the deities, but um, Venus is also... Well, she was also connected to the vulture and the peacock. And um, there's another story as well where um, I believe they had to kind of like fly close to the sun or someone, something had to be collected as close to the sun and no one wanted to go because that meant death. You know, you'd get burned, burned, to, um, burned to death. So she transformed herself into a peacock and um, flew as close as she could. And she was able to retrieve the item. In the meantime, all of her feathers were burned. Um, so it was, it was very much like she, you know, yes, okay, she gives off this very be- beautiful peacock energy, but when it comes down to it, like she's just like, I'm here to do a job, like I can do it. I don't care if I get burned to a crisp. It's like, it's that, again, that warrior energy where she doesn't have to like literally fight anybody. In that instance, it is just her standing up for herself. It is just her kind of, allowing you know people like you have to realize how much power i have i don't have to tell you how much power i have you already know especially with the peacock it's like you know she was able to sacrifice her beauty which is supposed to be her crowning glory which it is but she's showing that she has a lot more a lot of grit to her so when i think of venus and again talking about that idea of love but also about war um it's not war in the mars sense it's it's war in the sense of Yes, like there's strength in this power, but it's it's very much, it's like a raging river. The river can be very soft and very gentle, like a trickle, but it can also be like a, like a water of rapids where, you know, you take your boat down and, you know, there are rocks and jagged, you know, jagged pieces. You don't want to get thrown into that, <laughs> um, which of course, you know, Oshin does rule the rivers as well. So I, every time I think of her, I think of that energy um, and I try to impart that in my life as well. Right. You know what that reminds me of, like, is the, um, that kind of, that softer strength that you're talking about with Venus, the sort of, um, yeah, almost like it's not the fiery battling warrior that Mars is, but it's more of like a strategic um, kind of uh, a sort of way of fighting I think Venus can sort of have. And it reminds me of the tarot, how um, Venus is represented in the Empress, you know, as I'm sure you know, and, you know, we see this like beautiful woman with um, like this beautiful dress and she looks so mothery and nurturing and, and just like, yeah, she looks very much like the epitome of Venus. Yet, you know, the two signs that are associated with Venus, um, Libra and Taurus, in the tarot, Libra is the justice card and Taurus is the hero font card. So it's almost like, wait a second, like how does, how does this Empress beautiful mothering nurturing card, what the heck does that have to do with um, justice and the hero font? Like how are those cards really linked astrologically? But I think it goes back to what you said we can't have like the harmony and the balance and the love and the nurturing of of the empress without also um maybe the just the justice carrying vibes of of justice card i guess um or even the um 
the focus on beliefs and maybe even our maybe even our sort of uh, conditioned beliefs around receiving mm-hmm. love or desire or even expressing sexuality or sensuality, those kind of lessons we might learn in the hero font. So we can mm-hmm. kind of see how it's all connected. <laughs> yeah, very much. I, I love those. And you bring up those parts and I always see those parts as so strong and like, actually it's interesting because a lot of people when i'm reading people they get afraid when they see death i'm like death is nothing are you kidding me like be afraid of the hierophant like be afraid of justice you see she's carrying that big sword like come on like are you kidding me she's weighing your heart and your your brain she's she's like she's waiting she's everything is cold logic she's the queen of swords you know so there is no there is no talking she's weighing it she's pure fact so it's like there is no talking i mean yes death you can maybe coming yeah death is coming death is coming but it's like i i get more of a stronger vibe from the hierophant and justice to be honest when i see that i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> right so definitely yeah. i would agree with you yeah so mm-hmm. it's sort of um yeah or even like the the blunt force of like the tower card associated with mars it's funny how, um, yeah, the other Venusian cards like Justice or the Hero font can sometimes be as heavy, if not heavier, than those mm-hmm. those like, classic um, scary cards. I call them with my students, like the scary card yeah. hero, having quotations around that because you know no card is really you know, inherently good or bad. It just is what it is. But um, yeah, so, well, I want to know, Mal, a little bit more about your personal relationship with Oshun. Was there ever a time in your life when you felt like Oshun was with you through a through a big transition or sort of like a, a, a death of sorts in your own life, whether it be like of an old identity or, or whatever it may be, if that's not too personal to ask. That's okay. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm seeing more and more as I go deeper into this work that um, she's always been there and she's um, always been kind of watching over me and kind of, uh, pushing me to, especially when I react in a very, uh, I have Venus opposition Mars in my natal chart. So I'm, I feel like I've never really, I'm always trying to find that balance between that masculine feminine energy, like how, how loud do I speak? Or um, maybe I, I don't speak loud enough. It's always this um, back and forth. And um, I feel like, you know, I'm feeling more of a balanced energy at the moment. Um, I think this is a time where maybe She's very much in my life, very present. But yeah, I mean, when I came back, I lived in England for 12 years. And when I came back here about two, almost two years ago, um, I would see sunflowers everywhere, all over. I mean, just rampant. And um, just even like the images of bees and like a bee would land on me and it wouldn't sting me. And, um, like, you know, just i love sweet things to be with i'm very much a sweet person um but yeah just i used to come and crave i'm a coffee person by nature but i was craving tea with honey which i hadn't had since i was a child and um especially in england you always have tea with milk it wasn't honey wasn't really a thing so it was yeah it was like she just kept preparing and um i just knew she was around i knew i had to like keep working with her and um 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, we talked about this before too. I mean, you brought, you, you brought to my attention, which I didn't actually, a surprise, I didn't realize it, but my book comes out on the day of Oshun, Oshun's day, which is September 8th. And I was just like, of course, of course she did that. <laughs> she let me know that it was her, um, which is awesome. I'm like, yeah, thank you. That's great. <laughs> right, right. Do you think, do you think that, um, you know, people who are sort of, maybe listening to this and vibing with needing, needing more Venus, needing more maybe Aphrodite or, or, or Shun vibes in their life. Do you think that everybody can work with Oshun or do you feel like Oshun kind of comes to you when she wants to work with you? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I've always been of the the ilk of the, the, there's so many gods and goddesses. I mean, I mean, just recently, like, I've been getting a lot of dark goddess energy coming to me um, for shadow work purposes, and I've never had before. So I honestly, I didn't call them. I actually, in my mind, I would prefer not to do this, <laughs> not to do shadow work. So um, yeah, I wasn't really, I mean, I'm happy that they're around, but I'm like, uh, can you come back in a month? Um, but I guess, nope, they're here. So I, I feel like they come to you when, when, they're, when they're ready to work with you. And I, I know a lot of people, I was talking to my, um, my, my friend, my, one of my uh, Reiki master friends who, who trained me for um, uh, my attunements, and we were talking about this. And I feel, you know, people get very much connected, really kind of stuck in this bubble of only working with um, deities or gods or goddesses that are in connection to your ancestral lineage in this life. And we do have to realize that we have many in incarnations in this in this world, in other dimensions and planets. So we can't pigeonhole ourselves. We are all connected, you know, that's the whole thing. We all are one. We all are coming from one, one being, one energy, and we just kind of have broken apart. So realizing that, you know, Isis is Venus, is Oshun, is Aphrodite, all in different spaces, all in different countries and cultures, they're all one person, they're all one being. So separating yourself and saying, oh, I'm from, I'm European, I can only work with Celtic goddesses. Fine, that's great. If they come to you a lot, work with them. But if Oshun does come to you, work with her too, because she's she's seeing a part of you and her, and she wants you to open up to that energy. Um, it's, it's it's interesting. I know, I just feel like people get a little pigeonholed when it comes to that. Um, uh, yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I love what you're saying too, because even if there's any like beginner astrology students that are listening, um, who are still sort of studying the basic meanings of the planets, which by the way, I think you just study the basic meanings of the planets forever. Like, I don't think that <laughs> ends, right? Like you just you oh. keep going back to figuring out like, okay, what does this planet mean? Like, let's review it mm -hmm. never ends. But I think, exactly. yeah, especially it, with astrology, we do get so, um, you know, rightfully so, but maybe a little bit bogged down with always associating, um, you know, the planets and uh, with the, the Roman and Greek pantheon, which makes sense, right? Because it's where it came from. Let go back to the Hellenistic era, right? But then when we look at other cultures and other pantheons, um, 
even like the the orishas like we are talking about with oshun we realize like wait a second venus is everywhere venus there's a there's a venusian goddess within every pantheon just like there's a there's a mars kind of god within every pantheon Mm -hmm. but yet oshun for me has a distinctly different feel and lesson than someone like aphrodite so I would agree with you completely. Maybe it's important for us to sort of dip our toe into at least learning about some other goddesses from different places so we can kind of get, um, yeah, get, get that different flavor of, of all of the aspects of the same archetype, essentially. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like you said, like I feel like they, they do come to you when you're meant to access that particular archetype. Like you said, Aphrodite is very different from Oshun. So maybe as Aphrodite is very much love-based and very much, you know, um, which is great. She is focused more on the beauty aspect of so is Oshun, but maybe Oshun wants you to kind of balance it out. Maybe even focusing a bit too much on that. Maybe you need to like speak up for yourself a little bit. And Oshun's like, hey, I'm going to show you how to do it, but don't, you know, to not be too aggressive. I'm going to show you how to do that. So I feel like it's like, it's almost not to say levels, there's, there's no hierarchy. It's just a different aspect of it. It's like, oh, I didn't know I could do that, you know, with Aphrodite's, with that energy of Venus. And I think it's just like, yeah, showing a different side of it. Like you said with Mars, I mean, you have um, so many, well, so many um, different uh, variations. When you think about Shango, like, He's very aggressive, you know, but he's also the lover too. Um, so uh, you do have this aspect as well where he's probably not full on um, Mars energy, like, like you know, the god, like coming in and just slaughtering and cutting off heads. Um, yes, he can do that, but he's also like a charmer and a lover and like a playboy. And he has that aspect as, as well. So maybe it's also showing people who are very connected to that Mars energy, like, hey, what about love? don't you need somebody to care about you too um so yeah i think it's yeah i think it's like different aspects of the same different sides of the same core. oh yeah (laughs) i totally love that um i totally love that and it reminds me too i don't think you remember this at all but when i had a um a reading with you in new york last fall um i i think we were looking at my venus um which is in capricorn and I was kind of telling you um, that, like, I was like, I hate fun. Like, I hate having fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and there's something uh, with Oshun, at least, that she is the goddess. When I am, like, um, really in that Venus Capricorn, like, sort of working and, um, yeah, like, there's something about a Venus and Capricorn placement, at least for me, where I... Um, I can really like isolate myself from being like, now is not the time for love. Absolutely not. Like I'm working. Mm-hmm. Like, so, so <laughs> Oshuna, Oshun comes to me, it's very much like have some fun or um, she sort of teaches this way of like having joy um, and ha- bringing pleasure into, I- into things as well. So <laughs> that's how yeah. I, have, I have connected with her. Um, I love and, that. Yeah, and honestly, in a very memorable way, like, because I, I just feel like she's the kind of goddess when, when she calls to you, like you said, she really shows up in your life, whether it's through her, the color yellow, or sunflowers, or, or bees, or whatever it may be, uh, she really shows up. 
And this, if I remember correctly, is your Venus in the seventh house as well? It is in the seventh house, yes. Yeah, so you have that mixture of Libra energy as well. So it's already there. Right. Um, so maybe she's just reminding you, like, hey, don't forget that. You know, if it's Capricorn, but it's also a bit of Libra there too. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, now maybe um, to sort of go into like our, our little bit of our last segment for the episode, um, I was telling you, I was saying, you know, there's so many places online where we can get information about what Venus in Libra means or what Venus in the eighth house means, right? But maybe we don't have a lot of information about like the different combinations of Venus in a chart, it, meaning sort of, well, what, what happens when Venus is an aspect to Pluto or, or what happens when Venus is an aspect to Uranus or Neptune in a chart. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe we could talk a little bit about, um, of course, not each aspect, because that would probably take forever to go through Venus, Venus square, Neptune, Venus trine, Neptune, Venus, you know, <laughs> we won't go on forever. Right, mm -hmm. we, won't, we won't go that in depth. Um, but, uh, but maybe we could talk about Venus in combination with each planet and sort of the high vibe and the lower kind of shadow side it could bring to someone's chart and then whoever is listening they can kind of go and sort of check to see like you know what what is venus doing in my chart what aspects is venus making to the other planets uh, does that sound good <laughs> sure yeah i'd love to do that um yeah i think the aspects are one of those like at those parts of the chart that um yeah, it's kind of uh, a lot of very difficult for beginner um, astrology students. So I definitely like to um, create some ease around that. So there, for me, I have uh, five main configurations. We have the conjunction, which is um, very zero, almost like zero to three degrees. Conjunctions just mean that they're kind of hanging out in the same house. They're hanging out in the same, or the same degree e energy, which gets a little bit complicated for some astrologers. Um, hexagon is also sextile, as I'm going back to the Hellenistic um, name for it. Um, and this is a 60 degree um, energy. This is when two signs are um, separated by, apart by two signs. Um, so you have like say Leo, Virgo, Libra, um, then we'll have like, I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to do my own math. So Leo, Virgo, Libra, and say Scorpio. So, or Leo and Libra. So it'll be like two signs apart. Um, again, if you think about Leo and Libra, they do have the sextiles are very much like a pleasant aspect. Um, there's, hmm, I'm trying to think what's the difference between. Trines are more positive than sextiles. Um, to me, sextiles sometimes, um, as well as trines, I think we have more positive and challenging aspects. I actually do like conjunctions, to be honest. I, I do too. I think, yeah, I think like it's, it, it gives the best and the worst of both planets. Um, and I feel like maybe because I have so many aspects with Pluto, um, I'm like, give it to me. Like, I want strong. I want strength. I want to like know it. I want to know where I'm coming from with Venus. I want to know coming from with Pluto. Um, and I think conjunctions do that because it shows the energy of both. It's like having my two best friends who are very different, but they, they get along somehow. Um, the sextiles and the trines um, can be, yes, this seems very positive, but I think sometimes they're too much of a good thing. Sometimes with trines, it's in the aspect of someone's chart, it can sometimes show a placement where they, they don't work as hard because it comes naturally. 
So it tends to be like a, um, oh yeah, I, I got this, I have this, but then they never do anything with it. It's the person from school that you grew up with who was a great musician and they were like, you know, top of the band and they were all in all the plays and you graduate from school and they do, they're still in the same hometown. They don't do anything with it. And you're like, wait, I thought you were going to be like a star. And it's just like, they're like, oh no, you know, I'm just here like bagging groceries or whatever, which is fine. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's like they have sort of the potentials there. But sometimes it depends on the placement of, you know, does it actually come to fruition? Um, we also have now the square. The squares and oppositions are a little bit of those challenging aspects. Um, squares are kind of the point of frustration or tension. When I think of squares, I think of like two, two fists, kind of, you know, two rams kind of never, like they're just butting heads and they're not really coming, seeing eye to eye. This is normally seen with signs that are, are three apart. So um, you can see this with like say Aquarius or Scorpio, um, or a lot of times it's, it's always the, so you think of a square, you think of the four, four energy, like almost a cross. So um, you would have like the fixed signs of these squares. Um, you, um, I always go straight to fixed signs, but I think of a, a fixed energy. Um, so yeah, this, this causes some tension. It's planetary ruler of the square energy is Mars. So if you think about that, yeah, it's gonna be tension. But I feel like from this tension, growth can happen. So yeah, I don't necessarily see them as bad. As I mean, you're the challenging, but challenge sometimes is a good thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, when I'm reading a chart, this is what I look at. And then oppositions are completely 180 degrees apart. Um, these are opposite energies. So Leo, Aquarius, you know, Taurus, Scorpio, Aries, Libra. They're going in completely different directions. Like Aries wants to go and be to play and have fun by themselves. Libra needs to have someone else. You know, so they have completely different mindsets. They don't even not even on the same planet, you know, <laughs> they're like, so it's like somewhere else. Um, so yes, that's, sorry, I, I went up a little bit, but those are, when I see the configurations, this is what I think of the five major aspects. Yeah, totally. That's, that's how I, in similar ways, think about the aspects and especially the conjunction, because uh, usually we, we think of, well, the conjunction is a hard aspect, but I kind of think of it in the same way as you, like, I think it's kind of a good thing most of the time. I mean, it depends the combination, but uh, it's like the two planets kind of become one, and I think it's it's kind of cool. So, well, that's a good. That's kind of a good review of the aspects, um, and maybe we could start. We could go backwards. So, for mm -hmm. you, when when Venus and let's start with Pluto. So, when Venus mm -hmm. and Pluto get together in a natal chart, in whatever way, what is sort of like the high vibe and the shadow side in your in your eyes <laughs> okay so the high vibe when we have venus we have planets of love you know connection um fertility growth joy whatever um and then you have pluto as well which is similar energy i'm gonna say similar but it's very attractive it's very sensual very magnetic so when you have for me the high energy of venus and Pluto um, would be someone who who does give off this energy of like you know like raw sexuality, this um, this raw kind of this very dynamic person, someone who um, probably as well. Remember, I, I would see the conjunctions as they're able to use both the energies of both planets to their advantage. So um, and a few people Venus conjunction Pluto people, and they can charm the pants off of anybody. And I say maybe literal pants, but also um, getting what they want, you know, that kind of thing. Um, 
Yeah. So, but then, of course, we have the low vibration of this energy where the person who always gets what they want um, can't take no for an answer or um, can take things very personally. And that Pluto can come out and it can become very, also, also Venus too, very vengeful, very, um, yeah, like having a really hard time with love, having a hard time with self-love as well. Maybe they, because Pluto tends to obsess about things. So I think when the Venus-Pluto aspects happen, they can become um that pluto sometimes take over when i see the aspects i always go towards the outer planets first like the further out the planet the stronger it is within that energy because if you think about the planets in general as they're rotating the outer planets have a lot more gravitas in terms of you know they they take longer to rotate they have more of a dominance over the that orbit um around the sun so i see that they have a stronger influence so yeah pluto can sometimes in my mind i see the taking over sometimes and leading to paranoia a little bit or um obsessive tendencies overthinking because venus of course is connected to libra which is an air sign so there's a lot of like ruminating about things um yeah how, how do you how do you interpret that? totally i agree i think of venus pluto people very intense like when you're in love with them it's it's very intense like they mm -hmm. it's almost like they're magnetic um but then like you said the shadow side is um maybe like an obsessive love or almost mm -hmm. possessive um so i think we can see probably venus um in and pluto together be go very intense in both directions <laughs> mm -hmm. yes yeah uh, that kind of leads me to like we can go to Venus Neptune, which, mm -hmm. in my opinion, is also intense as well. Because of course we have another outer planet Neptune, but it's um it's a different kind of intensity because Venus Neptune is like the dreamiest fantasy um, <laughs> artist kind of vibe when Venus and Neptune get together. I think sometimes love can be like truly a thing of the imagination we sort of lose mm -hmm. what is real about this person and what is yeah. being imagined uh what would you say about venus and neptune together i mean the high side i mean super creative because you have neptune the prime of imagination creativity um illusion which is great sometimes because they're able to see worlds that we would never you know maybe the average person we can't be in their heads and Venus, of course, you know, is that, you know, has that air energy too, as well as the Taurus grounded things. We do forget about the Taurus sometimes. Um, I do sometimes. I was focusing on Libra. But it's like this person, when they do set their mind on something, um, they make amazing artists. They make amazing creatives. Um, and I feel like Venus, Neptune people, um, they do really well with... Um, I would see someone who has strong Mars aspects. With Mars, I would say Mars and Neptune, or maybe so like they have the heart, the kind of the hardness, but the softness, so they don't scare them away. You know, I think Venus and Neptune people are like like baby bear. If you scream too loud, they'll like run away in the corner somewhere and <laughs> never come back out. So you want someone who would help push them, but also to see their creativity and also to respect it and say, okay, yes, I'll give you a deadline and we'll work together. Um, so I think that, yeah, they can do well in relationships, but it has to be someone like the right partner. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. I, I have, um, I have kind of a strange thing in my chart because my Venus in Capricorn is in the middle of my Uranus-Neptune conjunction. So I have mm -hmm. three 
planets really, really close. So part of me feels like I, I really have played out the Venus Neptune in my life in certain mm -hmm. ways, like really truly f making up in my own mind what I thought, who I thought I was dating and then just being completely mm -hmm. wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, then, but then I don't, I don't always completely resonate with like being romantic or dreamy or like wanting a soulmate because I also have that Venus Uranus thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe in that way we could move on to what happens when Venus Uranus kind of get together and they're making aspects in the natal chart. What, do, what kind of person do you think that kind of makes? <laughs> yeah. I am. I think I'm also going to go back to your placement. I feel like, um, as you know, like our, our astrology um, chart, our birth chart is a, is a map, you know, we've, we've chosen these placements. And I, I honestly do feel like you chose Capricorn to really ground you and help you with love. Um, I'm just, I'm just, and it'll get too personal, but I am getting like, I think we might talk about this in our reading, but I do feel the image is that you do have some past life um, connections with being betrayed by love or again that illusion has been there so you do have some aspects I feel in your chart that are there to help you with that and help you to ground you they don't it's not that they, don't, they don't want you to experience love but like on the on the level where you're getting something as well as they are um yeah, yeah. that <laughs> totally resonates yeah <laughs> <laughs> sorry I just wanted to say I was like I just got that little message about that but um I like it I like it <laughs> So yeah, so Venus and Uranus people, um, very much intriguing, this kind of mysterious energy, because the first energy, which is connected to Uranus, can be very mysterious. It can be very aloof, which some people might read as like the loner, like, ooh, they're such a loner, I wonder what they're about. Um, so they do have this kind of intriguing energy about them. Um, but they're also, you know, maybe giving, I, I always get mixed messages from these kind of people, where they give off this intriguing kind of energy of, you know, I, I, maybe they, maybe they send you like long text and they call and they want to hear, hear all your stories and they come pick you up from the airport and, you know, they do the things that you're like, oh, wow, this person must really care about me. They must really like me. And then you meet their girlfriend right. and you're like, wait a minute, what, what, what's going on right now? I'm like, oh wait, you didn't know? I, yeah, we've been together for like five years. Like, you're like, wait, but I thought we were, but. Um, okay. <laughs> um, so, so I get this vibe sometimes of like a little misleading, um, but also too, I think that this kind of person has a hard time connecting with love. Um, cause you know, Uranus is a little bit unpredictable and it's like, you know, they, I feel they have those mixed messages within themselves, to be honest. Um, where, yeah, I think there's, yeah, this kind of, this fear of compromise, this fear of kind of being taken advantage of or being vulnerable. Um, or losing themselves in a partnership that I feel is always kind of there. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. How do you see that? Please yeah, that, that makes sense to me. I think I, um, with, yeah, with Venus Uranus, depending what's happened, what, of course, we can't just take it for, um, yeah, we're just doing like general mm -hmm. things, but mm -hmm. I think um, sometimes there might be a difficulty with commitment because Uranus wants to break free, but mm -hmm. also not 
all Venus Uranus people, but some Venus Uranus people, I think actually doing do really well sort of liberating themselves from this um, traditional ideal of like, mm -hmm marriage and partnership like i think some venus uranus people may discover i'm polyamorous or i mm. don't do well in this sort of um yeah like that traditional monogamy maybe there's a different kind of relationship that would be better for me um, because sometimes i think our idea our societal ideal of what love is works against the venus uranus person you know and yeah. not always but sometimes um mm -hmm. whereas um kind of our next our next um order would be venus saturn and i think venus oh. saturn people to be very committed right mm -hmm. and it's interesting because um yeah because like saturn um you know the textbooks might say to a venus Saturn person like you'll never find love or whatever um, and I just don't think it's true I think it's kind of sad because I think Venus Saturn people um, are some of the most committed people actually they, they really want that like traditional like I have my partner kind of thing what do you think yeah, I love that. Um, so Saturn to me, yes, it's represented by the father. So when I see Venus, that's just why I kind of felt a bit sorry for them when you're talking about it, because Venus and Saturn people very much connected to their parents in the relationship. And they kick up, it's like almost like super empathic because Venus, of course, is that energy. You, you want to see love, you want to see the beauty. And I've noticed with Venus, Saturn people, not all of them, but they do tend to come from like broken homes or, um, you know, just really not believing in love or wanting to, and probably having to, maybe to playing out their parents' failed relationship or their parents' relationship within their relationship before they can get to a healthy balance. Um, there's a lot of like, yeah, parental childhood wound stuff coming up with Venus and Saturn. I was to also see people with displacement, yeah, trying to find someone to take care of them and to nurture them possibly the way that they didn't have to get nurtured in childhood. Um, and my heart breaks for that. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh. But I know this is part of the process um, because, you know, person long run, what they're learning is that actually they don't need a partner to do this. They can do it themselves. And that's like the bigger lesson. But um, I feel like this is a very like, intense placement um, for that. I agree. Yeah, that kind of idea of, um, yeah, that idea that like a Venus Saturn person may have not seen true love growing up or like even if let's say their parents are married, but let's say their parents aren't particularly affectionate or romantic, there could have been this understanding that like love is um, cold or transactional. So I think with Venus Saturn, it, it can be like a lesson about really learning how to be to be vulnerable, but also um, so into also be um, um, kind of, uh, yeah, to just, uh, yeah, to learn to be in love, I guess, is the yeah. Saturn person. Um, yeah. And um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll finish too um, with, yeah, we'll finish with the Venus Mars combination. Uh -huh. So I mean, yes. you, you have this, so let's this yeah is, talk about that. <laughs> this, this is my this is my this is my bag. <laughs> so yeah, definitely 
um, really finding it hard to to blend those two. I it's really interesting because I looking back at previous relationships, I tend to attract Venus Saturn people, and um, I find it very interesting because what happens it's like it triggers in me this either fight or flight kind of energy where I feel like I want to pick between the two genders. I have to be either the woman and like be taken care of and I want to have that energy or I have a hard time and I want them to step up and be like, you know, I, it's, it's very interesting. And I feel like it, this is that, that Venus Mars dynamic that happens. And I'm like, I feel like I have to pick one. And um, I'm learning that again, like I have both within me. I don't need to go outside of myself to find this other path. Um, and because of Mars, I can be very aggressive in regards to that. Um, but also very aggressively like, screw this, I'm not into love, like I don't need it. Um, it's, it's a very interesting, yeah, I have to like do oh. more shadow work on this. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't thought about it that way, but it's true. Yeah, Venus, Mars, people might have this sort of, um, like, crisis of, like, the gender role. Like, who am I in the relationship? And do any of these gender roles even work for me? Or do I have to sort of um, find my own way? And how do I balance each? <laughs> yeah, this is this is a hard one. It's also, like, there's a lot of love and hate relationships like I and I felt this too and I, I really it's really hard for me to admit this but like yeah there are times where I like I when I truly like love a partner and I hate them at the same time <laughs> I'm just like I like I don't know and I'm just like well what what do I want like I feel really I see it happening this was you know because I know my placement so I see it happening in front of me and I just can't stop it and I'm just like yeah I, I kind of like I don't know it's it's really interesting and like I haven't encountered someone who also has this placement. I don't even think we could be in the same room, to be honest. Um, so <laughs> I don't even know if that can happen. But um, yeah, it's an interesting, um, interesting dynamic. I'm trying to think. Um, even like the trying sextile. Um, and yeah, I think it's probably better if it wasn't the trying sextile, even though like, I, you know, it was kind of saying. I think it kind of, it does kind of, uh, give a certain kind of charm and um, grace with this energy. Um, and they kind of like get along a bit better with people, a bit more creative. But I feel like what happens there is that they take to be, they get taken advantage of or taken for granted by people, which in place then almost does this passive aggressive thing with them and they can become resentful. Um, or like, yeah, a ticking time bomb is what I've seen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, wow. Well, I'm sure we've given our, our listeners a lot to think about of their chart. <laughs> um, and thank you so much for all of your insights into Venus and the natal chart and teaching us, giving us a little crash course in the history of astrology. Um, Mal, do you want to just kind of shout out um, your like website and Instagram and all of that stuff? I'll definitely put it in the in the show notes, but just so people know kind of where to find you. <laughs> sure. Thank you so much for having me. This is this is so fun. I just I could talk about astrology all day. <laughs> um, so my website, still working on that, but it should be complete by the time we post this. So it's uh, just www.newladyastrology.com. My Instagram is at moonladyastrology.com. And uh, you can also find me, um, Instagram is probably the best way. My email is, um, should I get my emails out? 
I, I can yeah. definitely put it down in the show notes. Yeah. So yeah. In, in yeah. case anybody wants to contact you about your book or a reading, mm-hmm. or anything like that, we'll, we'll have all the information down there. Um, yeah. And then the book release date, what is the book called, Mal? Sure. It's called Hellenistic Astrology for Beginners. And we just, yeah. the, world, the world needs that book. So I am so good. <laughs> I, like you said, I, I know it, we're, we're in a podcast, but mm-hmm. if you look at any Hellenistic astrology book, they're usually like 500 pages long. So I know. And like really dense, like right. wording. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We need Hellenistic astrology for readers. <laughs> so we'll definitely yeah. put that um, down somewhere in the show notes too. I can't wait to mm-hmm. read it. And um, yeah, I hope I hope a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for Thank being you. guest here. Thank you so much, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. This is so much fun. Before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much to my Patreon supporters. You are all supporting the creation of this podcast in a bigger way than you even realize. If you want to know more about my offerings on Patreon, including access to the Secret Horoscope Witch YouTube channel, the link is in the show notes. I am a professional astrologer, tarot reader, Reiki practitioner, and psychic intuitive. If you are interested in working with me one-on-one or getting a reading from me, you can visit my website, horoscopewitch.com, to learn more about my offerings. If you find this podcast to be helpful, I would greatly appreciate your rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews not only make my day, but also increase the chances of others finding this podcast too. And if you like this episode, feel free to share it with a friend.